care of them. And so, uh, so, uh, so that's just a different spin on that, but make sure that you do that. All right, cool. We're going to dive into the word. You guys ready? Cindy, if you could come and read our scripture for today, that would be awesome. I'd be happy to. That's just my little sound check because I get loud, so I want to make sure I'm okay. All right, we, our scripture tonight is from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Awesome. Thank you, Cindy. That is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, we're just thankful, God, for your word and thankful for the truth that is in it. Lord, we submit ourselves right now to what it is that you might want to say to us. We all come and we've all got different things going on in our life and and came here tonight with um, different expectations. Lord, but you know each one of our hearts and you know what we need to hear. And so I thank you, Lord, for uh, the blessing of being together and the blessing of the constancy of your word. And I pray that tonight, Lord, I would say only what's on your mind to say, uh, Lord, and, and, and not draw any attention to myself, but only to you. And so I pray that you'd speak to us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, so we have been in this series now for a little while, and we will be for a little while longer, on kingdom culture. And we've been looking at how the culture kind of of the world and how it differs from the culture of the kingdom of God, how there's oftentimes a clash that happens. And that should be the case because if if we're following Jesus and he is our king and he's bringing the kingdom of heaven down to earth, we would expect that there would be a culture clash between what is going on here on earth and what is going on at heaven. Uh, And so oftentimes when there's that culture clash that exposes our values, it shows us kind of the, the, the thing that's in our heart that we feel or we think is really important, then it kind of, if we're, if we're open to it, it will overcome the evil that's in our heart around these kind of values, and then it brings us freedom. And so we've been looking at kind of some, some different ways of the world versus the kingdom values. And so today we're going to be looking at kind of the, 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 the worldly culture of consumerism versus the culture of servanthood in the kingdom of God. And we are about to enter into a season right now uh, in, as, in the Christmas season where consumer Consumerism is like in front of us all the time, right? I mean, every, everywhere you go, every time you turn on the TV, there is an advertisement for you to buy something, right? Uh, so this is like the high watermark of consumer life. And you might not think about that being a part of like, that's, it's a cultural problem, but it is a cultural problem. All you have to do is look at the little kid who's really angry at the present that they didn't get at Christmas, And realize that we're like little tiny consumers and big consumers, that we live with this sense of like entitlement and expectation that I am here to be served, right? 
Like this is part of our mentality and, and the culture at large. I am here like to, to be served. As a matter of fact, uh, Daniel was telling me they had some trick-or-treaters come to their house and the kid was mad at them because they didn't have the kind of candy uh, that, that this kid wanted. I mean, come on, it's free candy. Like, I mean, this is the level of consumerism that we live with, where we have this expectation that people in the world is like really there to serve me. And by the way, this is like a, a universal phenomenon. So if you go back and you look at trends over the decades, some of the things that you'll see is that generosity, just giving and, and supporting nonprofits is dramatically down in dec- over the decades. People have more money than they've ever had, but are giving less than they've ever given. Volunteering, even though it seems like there are lots of good causes, is way down over the decades. Civil service, where people are, are just serving just to serve and not getting anything out, out of it, that is way down. If you just look at the numbers, I know that might seem contrary because it seems like everybody wants to do good, but the reality is there's a lot of um, uh, social media posting about the things that we do and not a lot of actions, And so what that reveals is there is a a consumer kind of nature in our culture that has crept fully in. And we all kind of, if we're being honest, we all have it a little bit. Actually, some of us have it a lot of bit, myself included. Like if you want to just understand like your nature of consumerism or entitlement, think about how many things you do throughout your day that are tailored specifically to how you want them to be. From the music you listen to in your car to the, the brand of coffee, to what goes in your coffee. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and none of those things are bad, but you add that effect up over time and you don't realize how that's affecting you. And it seeps its way into the church too. So one of the gross terms that I hate is people are church shopping. That is disgusting. I'm just, I'm just gonna call it what it is. The idea that we would go shopping for the right church it's, it's just like, it, it's, just, it's just not a part of what we're meant to be as the family of God. It ekes it ways into, oh, I'm not going to worship to that song. I don't like that song. I'm not going to come when that person's preaching because I don't like that person's preaching. Come on, I'm poking a bear right now. I told you guys a, bunch, a few months ago, I'm just going to get, we're, I'm going to offend everybody. And I'm just still on this train. So there, you're still coming. So that's great. Uh, right? This consumer culture gets into our our lives. And and like, you know what, as as a church family, we're actually maybe um, a little bit further down the road in some positive areas in this because we haven't had a lot of choices about how we do church, when we do church, where we do church. So we're just like happy that there's any words at all that there's a microphone at all. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, chances are, if you've journeyed with our church long enough, this consumer thing has been killed in you, um, but it's still there a little bit. The reality is, like, that consumer culture is just not what we're called to live into. We're actually called not to have a sense of entitlement and consumerism, but a, but a heart of servanthood, a desire to serve and lay our life down for other people. This is the life that Jesus lived when he was on earth. He's called in the Old Testament the suffering servant. And the scriptures in the New Testament that refer to him refer to him as that. He is a servant who lays his life down, a shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Now the disciples, when they were following Jesus, like wouldn't have had a problem serving Jesus because they thought he was the Messiah. And so they kind of had an expectation, like, he is the king, he is the Lord, we're going to serve him. But what they didn't expect was to have to serve other people. They didn't understand that who Jesus was, was who they were being called to be too. That what was true of him was meant to be true of them. And so in the passage that we read, and we're going to dig into a second, what we see is that Jesus models, this is who I am. This is what I came to do, and this is what you're meant to do as well. So right here in this passage in verse 15, Jesus says this, I have set for you an example, what he's about to do, wash your feet, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a, mes- nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now you know these things, and you will be blessed if you do them. Like this is one of those times where there's no ambiguity about what Jesus means. Like a lot of times you read the gospels and you're like, what does Jesus mean there? Do I really cut off my arm if it causes me to sin? Do I really cut out my eye? Like 
that this is not one of those times. He's literally saying, you should serve people the way I have just served you. You and I are called not to consume in the kingdom, but to serve in the kingdom. Now, I just want to just admit something like before I get into this too far. In my church, when I grew up, whenever like someone would read this passage about foot washing and preach on this passage, there would be fear that would go through the hearts of all the people in the church. Because in our church tradition, when you preached on this passage, you actually washed people's feet. And so everyone would start getting really uncomfortable, like, oh my gosh, we're going to do this. And I can remember being a kid and not being worried about someone washing my feet, because when you're a teenager or a kid, you just don't care. You're like, yeah, I got stinky feet. It's what I do. You know, I'm just, uh, that's what I do. But I remember being deathly afraid of having to wash someone else's feet. And especially because like, I would inevitably get paired up with the person who has never seen a pair of toenail clippers in their whole life. And like, you know, it's like, this person has dragon toes. I can't wash these things, right? So everyone would be fearful. And like the moment, like the preacher would start to talk, everything else stopped. Like, you know, the, no one would hear anything because I know, I know the foot washing's coming. I know the foot washing's coming. Just so you know, no foot wash is coming tonight. I'm not saying we won't do it. I'm just saying we're not doing it tonight. So there's no hidden towels and bowls back there, just so you know, all right? All right, so let me set the stage a little bit about, about this passage. Jesus is having this Passover meal with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. He is, this is, whole life has been building up to this moment. He has been uh, telling his disciples about this death that he's going to have. And he's been talking about his journey to Jerusalem. And now, like he's gathered his closest followers, his 12 disciples. Maybe there's a few more people in the room with him. And he's in this place, and now he's going to share these last moments. This is his last opportunity, really, to have his disciples in one place and share some things with them. And, and, and in that moment, in that Passover meal, like, I don't know if you've ever been in an environment where you know, like, everything's going to be different from this point forward. If you've ever been in a, in a situation like that, you hang on every word that's happening. Everything that happens, it feels like it's just, it's just endued with meaning. It just feels like pregnant with meaning. And that's what the disciples and what Jesus would have been feeling. They would have been hanging on every word, watching Jesus' every action. And also, when it's someone's last words, you know that they're the most important things they're going to say in their life. Like, this is it. This is Jesus' last words. And it's in this environment that Jesus reveals his heart as a servant one who sacrificially serves his disciples in kind of a humiliating kind of way. So the disciples are sitting around during this Passover meal and they would have been kind of leaning on the table like this. They didn't have chairs, so they would lean, I think it's their left elbow that they would put on the table and then their feet would be out behind them and they would have taken off their shoes when they entered into the house. And so in the middle of this meal, while they're all eating, while they're sharing the Passover, Jesus gets up and does this like absurd thing. Without saying a word, he gets up and he takes off his outer garments, it says. And he picks up a towel and he wraps it around his waist. This is the clothing of a household servant. This is how, if you were a servant in a house, you would actually dress. Now think about that for just a second. This is our Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the person that we've been singing about, the person we celebrate in communion, all of that, deciding that he's going to dress like a servant in this moment. And then he does something even more absurd. He doesn't just dress like a servant. He actually gets down on his hands and knees and begins to wash the grime off of his disciples' feet. This is actually something that's unthinkable for people of this time to have done. So uh, they're like... Basically, here's a, here's a scenario. You're walking around, and they don't have shoes like we have shoes. They only have sandals, if you had any shoes at all. So many would have been barefoot. And they're walking around, and as you're walking around barefoot, you pick up dust and mud and other things. Yeah? There are, there are donkeys and camels and goats. Yeah, now you're picking up when I'm laying down. Yeah. And you're walking on the same streets that all of those things are walking into, and all of that is going to be on your feet. It, it was, I was thinking about this, and like we have our pool in our backyard, and we also have two dogs. And if you get out of our pool barefoot and you walk around our pool, there's a really good chance that you're going to step in something. Like you're taking your life into your own hands. 
like, or your feet into your own feet. I don't know, however you would say it. But you're going to probably step on, this was the reality for people. And so what would happen is when they would go to a home, they would often have water like this to wash your feet off. It was a sign of hospitality. How do you serve the guests that are in your home? You offer them water to wash off their feet. And if you were a really wealthy person, what you would do is the servant that was in your house, if you had a household servant or servants, they would wash the feet of the disciples. But no one who was the owner of a house would ever wash a person's feet. No one who was a guest of honor would ever wash a person's feet. No rabbi would ever do this, and no king would do it. As a matter of fact, this is the only, the only thing from the ancient world where we ever have a leader washing the feet of someone. It's it right here. That's your Jesus, guys. That's your Savior defying what the world thinks a leader should be. And he bends down and washes the, du- the dust and the mud and everything else off his disciples' feet. Now, when I think about this, like sometimes when I think about a Passover meal, I have a tendency to think about this as like a somber, you know, kind of setting and they're, you know, sitting around and it's this kind of time of remembrance. But in reality, Passover was a time of celebration of victory. So the Passover meal is something that the Jews had been celebrating for centuries and they had been celebrating, 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 I can't talk right now, celebrating how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt how God had conquered Egypt and parted the Red Sea and then pass, and allowed them to pass through. And so they, they would celebrate this meal and it would be a reminder that God was their conquering king. And so when they would eat Passover, it would be a reminder of what God had done, but also would incite them and get them to think about how God would do it again. And so what they would be doing is they would be sitting around their Passover meal and I can imagine the disciples kind of listening and leaning in for Jesus and be like, all right, Jesus, Tell us how you're going to do it. They were expecting Jesus to be a conquering king. They were expecting Jesus to come like with a sword and kick the Roman Empire out of their land and establish a physical kingdom. And so for me, I think about this as like this was Jesus' opportunity for a halftime speech. You know what I'm talking about? For like, from, from like the movies where the, where the coach has the team gathered in and it's his last words before they go out and take the field and he's rallying them like to draw out the best in them. Or, or maybe it's like Leonidas in 300 or William Wallace in Braveheart, you know, like inspiring the troops to go out there. I think that that's probably what the disciples were expecting. They were probably like, wait, Jesus, you're gonna tell us how you're gonna conquer the Romans, right? And you're gonna tell us like what we're supposed to do how we're supposed to go out there and kick their butts too. They would have been waiting for their kind of assignment. But in the middle of all of that, Jesus doesn't say a word. He gets down on his hands and his feet, his hands and his knees, and washes off the feet of the disciples. He doesn't give them their kick butt assignment. He doesn't tell about how they're gonna overthrow the Roman Empire. He doesn't talk about how they're going to start leveraging the military might, how, how they're going to call the zealots up and we're going to go and do kind of take over like terrorist style. He doesn't do any of that. He washes the feet of the disciples. He gets down on his hands and his knees and washes their feet. I don't know about you, but this is like one of those stories in the gospels that's really moving for me. Like when I think about what Jesus is doing here, it, it messes with me. I just think, like, this is my God. This is the person I worship. It's very moving for me. Well, this would have also been very moving for the disciples. But moving probably not so much in a way where it's like, oh, it's like sentimental, but more like disturbing, more like confusing, more like, what the heck are you doing, Jesus? I can imagine, and we know Peter here objects, like, Jesus, you can't do this. Like, this is not what you're supposed to do. I could imagine Peter and the rest of the disciples saying, well, this isn't what we signed up for. Like, we, we expected you to come and conquer the Romans. Why in the world are you washing our feet? If Peter was confused about what Jesus was doing and why he was doing it, then Peter would have been very confused about who he was and what he was called to do. They're following Jesus' lead on all this. So they're thinking, Jesus is here to conquer 
We're about to inherit the land once again. That sense of entitlement, this is ours, let's go and reclaim it. That's what would have been running through their mind. And so when Jesus gets down on his feet and begins to wash their feet, it's very confusing for them. They're confused about Jesus and they're confused about themselves. It made me think about how when I was a kid, uh, I was maybe, I don't, I don't remember for sure, but somewhere between 10 and 12, our, our like church service, we used to have Sunday night church service like this, but we also had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Anyone else suffer through this? Guys, we're here to tell the, the, tell the tale. It's good. It's it, like, we're, we're okay. But we used to like Sunday night was the night where like the Holy Spirit showed up in the week. That was kind of the, that was kind of like the expectation. Like we would have lingering times of prayer and worship. And in one of those nights, I remember feeling like God was like calling me to like ministry. I had this like sense that, okay, God, you're calling me to ministry and to be a pastor. Now, obviously, I think about this differently. I think all of you are called to ministry. Every single one of you. Like from the person who cleans out there to the person who worships and everywhere in between, all of us are called. God has called us all to ministry. But in my kind of upbringing, being called to be a pastor was a really big deal because our pastors were like people who like sat on stage in big fancy chairs. Our pastors were people who had their own parking space closest to the door. Our pastors were people you did not call by their first name. You called them pastor, whatever their last name was which weirds me out, by the way, when someone around here calls me pastor, because like, I'm just like, I'm chill. This is like, why, like, you know, it's fine if that makes you feel comfortable, but I don't need it. But in my day, you would never call a pastor by their first name. You just, did, you just didn't do that. So when I went to the pastor and I said, hey, I feel like I've got this call to ministry, I was like, had an expectation in mind about how this conversation was going to go. Instead, what he said was, oh, that's really interesting something to that effect. Well, that's good. And he said, why don't you come with me? And he walked me into the lobby of the church. And he went to a door that happened to be the janitor's closet. And he opened the door of the janitor's closet and he pulled out a broom and a dustpan and he handed it to me and said, if you want to know how to lead people as a pastor, then you have to learn how to serve people so you can go ahead and clean the lobby. That was how I started. And I did, I, I, I did, I did it, and I was like, wait a minute, this is not what I was expecting. I thought that this guy would be way more excited and that we would begin to talk about what does it look like to serve in pastoral ministry and all this other kind of stuff. I didn't expect that it would start with serving in a way like cleaning up everybody's trash when they left. As I've gotten older, I've realized, like, and I think back about this man who taught me this, like, I remember now, my, my parents, my mom was the church secretary, and so we would often go into the church, we had, a, we had a daycare, and she would go into the church before anyone else was there, except for Pastor Mosslander was always there before we were there, every day of the week. And I remember distinctly one particular time, but I know there was many days, where I went to go walk into the church building, and I heard a voice in the room. And I was like, what is that? And I remember walking towards the sanctuary and peeking in the back of the sanctuary and our pastor's face was buried in his pillow, crying out to God for the people of the church. So when he asked me to sweep the floor, it's like, I can do that because I know he had done it before. But the weird thing for me is I still, it still didn't register in my mind. I still had this thought that if I'm supposed to lead in ministry, if I'm supposed to do something, I, have, I had this sense of entitlement. I actually felt like in this moment, maybe he was supposed to serve me. Instead, what God was calling me to was a life of service. I didn't really understand that that's what it was about. And so the disciples around Jesus don't understand that in this moment. And so here's what Peter says to Jesus, like, stop, Jesus, you can't do this to me. I can imagine Peter saying to Jesus, like, don't you know who you are? You can't wash my feet. Like, you, you can't do this. To which Jesus replies, Peter, I know exactly who I am, and that's why I'm about to do this. I know exactly who I am, and that's why I'm about to do this. 
Look at what John says about Jesus right before Jesus begins to wash their feet. In verse three, it says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And then he began to wash their feet. This is a statement of identity about Jesus. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew that his father loved him. He knew there was no question in mind that he was a son of a really good father. He knew that he came to earth uh, not to be served, but to serve, that the, that the Father had given him power and authority while he was here on earth. And then he knew his destiny. He knew where he was going. He knew that no matter what happened to him in this life, that he was going to be okay, that whatever he was going to endure, it would be worth it because he would be with his Father in heaven. He was so absolutely secure in his identity that he didn't have to do anything to prove his value and his worth. As a matter of fact, his identity had already been tested over and over and over again. Remember his time in the wilderness when the enemy comes and tempts him and says, if you really are the son of God, then do this. If you really are the son of God, then you'll do this. So Jesus had spent his whole life learning, this is who I am. And so in this moment, because he knows who he is, he's able to serve in this kind of humiliating, sacrificial kind of way and wipe the grime off of his disciples' feet. Here's the reality is that when you are grounded in your identity, when you know who you are, you're set free to serve. When you're grounded in your identity, you're set free to serve. The reality is that most of us, myself included, wrestle with who we are. We don't understand who, it, who we are in Christ. And so therefore, when it comes to serving, whether we're talking about serving within the family of God, serving our family, serving out there in the world, we're very confused and conflicted because we don't know who we are. And so what happens is we end up in a couple of extremes. The one is that sense of consumerism or entitlement that I already talked about, where we think that the world is here to serve us and that the people around me are here to serve me. Because we don't know that our Father in heaven has already taken care of all of our needs, that he has given us whatever it is that we'll need, that he's going to take care of us in the future. So guess what? I don't need to kind of look around and have the sense of expectation and consuming from the people around me. We, 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 have the, we've, we forget that, that we were called just like Jesus to serve and not just be served. And what happens when, when we have a confusion about that is we end up serving kind of like entitled masters. That's our thinking, rather than suffering servants like Jesus. Think about that. The picture of who our Jesus is supposed to be, who our Lord is, is a suffering servant, not an entitled master. But like, look at how far our society is away from that, and look at how far even in our own hearts we are from that. When I suffer through something, especially when I have to sacrifice to serve someone, I feel like woe is me. God, don't you see me? Don't you see the sacrifice I've made? Right? Like I deserve something. Meanwhile, Jesus hangs on a cross. The only one who's ever actually deserved anything. Right? Offering his whole entire life. Here in this moment, washing the feet of his disciples. The one person who should have had his feet washed is washing his disciples' feet. So that's one extreme, that sense of entitlement. But another thing that can happen if we're not clear about kind of uh, who we are in Christ and our identity is actually we can go the other way where we actually serve and pour out, but we do so to get our value and our worth. Where we're actually serving and pouring out to like have a sense of who we are. We try to earn um, love and affection through serving other people. We try to find our validity in life by pouring ourselves out and serving. And that is not good either. Because when we do that, that also betrays that we don't know who we are in Christ because as, when that happens, we're only as good as we are serving or as, a, a, like, as effective we are in our serving. And that kind of falls, uh, that falls deaf too in our life. Like that's not meant to be because you're not meant to find value and worth in serving. You're meant to serve because you already have value and worth. Both are a misunderstanding of our identity. When we know who we are, this kind of sacrificial, humble service that Jesus does in this passage and reveals to us isn't to gain value. 
to make yourself feel good. And it isn't to establish who you are. And it's also not something optional. Guys, I'm just going to say it like it is. Serving in the kingdom of God is not an optional thing. Can you imagine Jesus saying, yeah, you guys just keep coming around. I'll keep multiplying these loaves and fishes for you. I'll just keep healing. You guys just don't bother yourself with any of this stuff that I'm doing. Just it's okay. Like, can you imagine that? Yet we've got churches filled with millions and millions of people who believe that the church is there to serve them. Imagine if we understood who we are. If we understood because God has already done so much and because he has given us so much that we are released and set free to serve. Entitlement and consumerism is off the table for us because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, here around Fusion, we've talked about identity for a long time. Like, we understand that our identity doesn't come from what we do, but it comes from who we are in Christ. That, we've talked about that for a long time. So that's not like a new concept for us. But I think that sometimes in this conversation that we have about identity, we can forget who we're supposed to identify with. That whatever trajectory of our life, whatever we're on, it's supposed to look like someone who looks like Jesus. And that person, as we're growing to become more like Jesus, it should be become someone who is more and more willing to pour ourselves out in sacrificial kinds of ways. To be the kind of people who are willing to step into and actually be humiliated, even. I know that sounds really extreme, but Jesus makes it really clear to his disciples that the way I've lived my life is the way you are meant to live your life as well. He says, I, Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. That's Jesus, the king. Like, do you realize that? Like, that, that's his posture. His way that he tells his disciples is one of like taking up your cross daily and dying to yourself. Like nowhere in that is like us doing this just the sake of getting something out of it. Jesus calls his disciples to lay down theirs, their life just like his. To set aside their preferences, their safety, their security, their comfort, their pride, their status, for the sake of other people. That is, guys, that is who we're meant to be as followers of Jesus. There isn't another version of Christianity. There just isn't. Try to find a thread in the Gospels and following Jesus that doesn't lead you to a road of laying down your life for other people. You can't find it. It doesn't exist. Because that's just not who Jesus is. It's not who we're called to be. As much as we're called to be brothers and sisters in the family of God, as much as we're called to be sons and daughters and we celebrate that stuff, we're also called to be sent servants. That is who we are too. And the reality is that when we're convinced of that, when we're convinced that like it's as much who I am. I'm not just a son or a daughter. I'm also called to be a person who is sent to serve. When that, re- when that like hits home with us, then we can begin to take our first steps away from consumerism and entitlement. We can begin to check those things in our heart. And it becomes not about I'm, I'm doing the wrong things or I'm not doing right. and more like I'm not living into my identity. Like, have you ever been in a place where you feel like there's a conflict? Like, I... I this happens to me a lot. I'm a kind of a, I'm a person who's a little bit of a chameleon. So I can, I can hang with lots of different kinds of people. I've always been this. I was like a kid who hung out with like the metalheads and the jocks as a kid. Like I used to love to be around the skaters and the bikers. And that was like the two groups in our school that were like the gangs that, you know, they never, they never hung out. They were like really tough, you know. Like, but I could just as easily hang with those groups. I could hang with my church fans and I could hang with my school friends. But the older I get, the more secure I get in myself, the more I recognize there are times where I'm in environments where I feel like this, I feel like I'm operating outside of who I'm meant to be. And it's less about wrong or right and more about like, this is just not me. This is not who I am. 
Guys, and that's, when that sense of entitlement and that sense of consumerism, we, we find in ourselves and we feel ourselves, it's like in there, it should start to feel like a little bit of something that's like, like disorienting. Kind of like when people are singing out of tune. You know what I'm saying? Even if you can't sing, you recognize when other people can't sing. You know what I mean? When people are trying to harmonize and it's really off. Like that's what it should feel like us to live like consumers. That's what it should feel like to us when we're not serving. Not because we have an obligation to serve, but it's just not who we are. But the reality is like that is not gonna happen unless we let God work in our hearts. Like this isn't something, you guys can take this message and you can say, yep, you're right. I'm gonna check the box. I'm gonna try to serve harder and better. But that is not God's heart for you. That's not his heart for you at all. Actually, here, Peter, in this passage, when, when, when Jesus begins to wash Peter, and Peter's like, no, you can't, you can't do this, Jesus. You can't, you can't wash me. He says, Peter, look, if you don't let me do this to you, then you can't have any part in what I'm doing. You can't, you can't participate in this thing that I'm about to do. It's like Jesus is telling Peter, like, I want to do something through you, but I can't do that unless you let me do something in you. So this thing about becoming a servant isn't something we just do by trying harder and working harder at it. It's actually something that we do by actually letting God renew our hearts, by letting God renew our minds, by letting God stir up something in us from, from a different kinds of place. It's less about us trying to fix ourselves and more about allowing Jesus to do what he wants to do in our lives. And guys, I think this is like, this might feel like a weird kind of like out of left field way to like put this in this message, but I think it's so critically important because I think so many of us are, are busy either thinking that, yeah, I'm good and there's nothing I need to change. That's not true. Ask some people around you, your husband, your wife, your kids, they'll let you know. They'll let you know there are some things in your life that are broken that Jesus needs to heal. And that's part of the Christian life is being aware of the things that God is like wanting to do in our lives and being aware that there is change and transformation that happens. Like, I'm not gonna go there right now. But so many of us, I think, uh, tend to think we're like so broken, God can't use us. We've got so much going on that like God can't do anything with us. And I feel like what God would want us to know is like, yeah, you're right, you can't fix this on your own. And I'm not asking you to right? It's Jesus telling Peter, you have to let me wash you if you want to be a part of what I'm doing. So imagine right now that Jesus is sitting at your feet right now. Just do this a little exercise with me. That Jesus is sitting at your feet right now. My guess is some of you would be okay with that and be like, yeah, Jesus, wash my feet. But most of us would be like, this is really uncomfortable. Jesus, you can't do this to me. And if we took a look inside of our heart and just beyond the exterior, my guess is that we would see some stuff inside. And I think that Jesus would say to us, hey, would you stop trying to fix you and let me do what I want to do in your life? Because the Christian life isn't about us just trying harder and pulling up our bootstraps like Trish was talking about. It's about spending more time with our Father who loves us It's about enjoying him. It's about recognizing that it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The the, the picture of Christianity is that we're dying to ourselves and becoming alive to Christ. That he is doing something inside of us that we cannot do ourselves. The way the Apostle Paul talks about is learning how to keep in step with the Spirit. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid sin, That's not the way the Apostle Paul talks about it. He doesn't say, avoid doing sin. He says, keep in step with the Spirit, and then you will have the fruit of the Spirit, and then you will avoid the lusts of the flesh. So I feel like this picture of Jesus washing our feet is that picture of there are some things that God wants to do in us, some things that God wants to heal from us, for us and in us, if we will let him. And the result of that will be that we are the kind of people who will serve other people. I'm absolutely convinced 
that the reason why the church isn't serving more, serving our community, why we don't even have more serve, service within the church, not just here, but abroad, is because we don't know who we are and because we're not letting God do the work that he wants to do in our lives. It's not because there's a lack of opportunity. It's not because there's busyness. There is busyness out there in the world. There are a lot of things vying for our attention. But if we really knew who we are and if we really knew God's heart for us, that stuff wouldn't matter. It just wouldn't matter. It's easy to say no to things when you have a higher value. And when you have that higher value for other things, it's something that comes from the inside out, not the outside in. Values don't work when someone else tells you what your value should be. I'm gonna say it again. Values don't work when someone else tells you what your value should be. It has to be an internal kind of conviction. And so what we have to have is an internal kind of conviction that we are sent to be servants in the world rather than to be served. And this picture of Jesus right here uh, of washing his disciple, disciples' feet, you know, it's kind of a picture of something that happens here among the, just the disciples within the church, and it's a practice that he gives them to engage in how to serve one another, but it's meant to give them a posture about how they're supposed to live their everyday life. They're supposed to be the kind of people, we are supposed to be the kind of people that everywhere we go and everything we're doing, we're ready to serve other people. So when we go to our workplace, or we go to school, we go to youth group, we go out to a restaurant, we're not necessarily just seeking to be served, we're seeking to serve. That we have a heart like Jesus that is aware of, Father, who is here tonight that needs to know that you love them and how can I serve them? We're supposed to have a posture where we are ready to wash the feet, so to speak, metaphorically, of the people around us all of the time. That is who God's people are meant to be. And not just, by the way, when we sign up to volunteer for a ministry, although please do that, okay? We need that. But we're meant to do that in here so that we're better at it out there. You see what I mean? If you can't serve in the church, there's no way you'll be able to serve outside of the church. And here, we should, we're supposed to have a bond. We're bonded together because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Out there, there's all kinds of values and things that are in conflict with what we believe and how we live our life. And we're meant to love and lay our life down for those people too. Remember here, as Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples, Judas is right there with them. You realize that? Jesus going around and he's washing the feet of the disciples. He goes to Peter and he goes to James and he goes to John and he comes around to Judas, the one who is about to turn him over to the authorities and about to lead him to his death. And Jesus' hands are dirty from his feet too. How do you ever get there? I, that feel, I don't know for, for you, but that feels like so far-fetched for me. To, to love my betrayer well, guys, that can't happen unless we know who we are. It can't happen unless we let God do the thing that he wants to do in our lives and yield and let him put love in our hearts that is like supernatural. Guys, just remember, we're not just called to be good moral people. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity literally says, you had a dead heart and now I'm giving you a new heart. You had a heart of stone and now I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh. You didn't have the capacity to love, and now I'm going to give you the capacity to love. Because that's our faith. And the only way that we can serve in the world and, and kind of go against the grain of consumerism is to become the people that God's called us to be and lay our lives down for other people. But that only happens if we let him work in our hearts. Mark, you can come on up. Let's take a quick inventory. When is the last time you sacrificially served someone? I mean, really, at your own pride expense or your own status. When is the last time you served someone in a way that actually really cost you something? As you think about your own, just kind of in a way that you engage, like, do you, are you the kind of person who looks to serve? 
Are we the kind of person that looks to be served? And if you're the kind of person that looks to serve, what's your motivation behind that? Is it to look a certain way? Is it to be loved? I'll just be real with you guys. There's a part of me that I know that I have to really watch out for because I love to serve, but I also love to be loved because I serve. So I have to really watch out for that. I have to be very, very careful and check my heart and check my motivations. So do you seek to be served or do you seek to serve? And if you seek to serve, why? When's the last time you laid your life down for someone? When you did something that's close, maybe not actually washing someone's feet, but did something close to that? Are you believing the lie that you're too broken, that your life is too much of a mess? to step out and begin to serve other people, that you've got too much going on and too much, too many things happening in you. I just can't, I just can't pour out. Just remember that Jesus has this interaction here and has it with Peter, the one who's about to deny him three times, that he even knows Jesus. The one who does all kinds of goofy stuff in the gospels. To that one, Jesus says, I trust you to lead my church. I trust you to lead my people. So guys, I just want you to know that Jesus trusts you. He trusts you. He believes in you. Because he believes in himself in you. Your brokenness is not a barrier to your service. The challenges and problems that you have in your face in life, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, they are not a barrier. Only if you let them be. Now, as I'm sharing this and and wrapping up here, I don't want you to have any sense of shame or condemnation. I don't want you to be hearing me say, you should feel really bad if you're not serving. If you're hearing that, you're not hearing my heart. And I don't think you're hearing God's heart either. So I don't want you to have any shame or any condemnation. I don't want you to go there. Here's what I think God wants for you. Here's what I want for you. Instead, I want you to understand who you are. That you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are sent to serve just like Jesus was sent to serve. That is who you are. And so what that means is service is not an optional thing. It just means that there's got to be some heart work to get us into the posture of being willing to lay our lives down. And look, for some of us, that's easier than others, and that's okay. We're all in different places with this, but what you don't need to go out of here is start going out and feeling really bad about yourself. What you do need to understand is who your God is, and he's big enough to give you a new heart. He's big enough to change your heart. So be reminded of who you are today. And then the next thing I would say is like, let him do the work that he wants to do in your heart to release you to serve. Let him do those things. I'm amazed at how if you give the Lord a little window, how he's like, yeah, that's enough. I'll, I'll jump through that one. So something as simple as going to a grocery store and not parking at the closest parking space, but instead parking kind of far away. And as you're walking into the grocery store, just say, God, is there anyone in this place that you want me to serve today? Or you want me to bless? It is amazing how many times God will answer that prayer. It's also amazing how many times that doesn't happen if we don't pray that prayer. You see what I mean? What if you went to work this week, and as you're going into work, you just simply posture yourself, God, is there anyone that I could bless this week? You're asking me to serve in some way. It doesn't have to be these big, massive things, guys. 
It can be really small things. And if you do those little things, if you posture yourself, God will grow your heart of service over time. But you've got to give him that window. I think it's God's heart for our church that we would become sent servants. That would be, we would be the kind of people who sacrificially lay our lives down for one another and for the world. And in so many ways, guys, you already do this. The, the, there have been so many times where people have given a car or given incredible amounts of money or we've got people staying with people overnight with their babies. I mean, just this incredible acts of service in our church. But I still think we've just barely begun to scratch the surface of being the hands and feet of Jesus in our community that he wants us to become? What if our reputation was those people will do anything to show the love of Jesus? Wouldn't that be awesome? For our community, for Wakanda, Island Lake, Crystal Lake, all the areas around here for those people, they'll do anything to show the love of Jesus. I think that's God's heart for us. So I'm going to pray, and we'll have a couple people come forward and be here ready to pray with you if there's anything you need prayer about tonight. Lord, I just pray, God, if there's, if there's anything that I've said tonight that's not from you, God, I pray that you would set it aside, that it would, be, it would, it would just be something that, that's thrown away and forgotten. But, Lord, if there's something that's from you that's piercing our hearts tonight, God, I pray that you would awaken something in us that frees us up and, and helps us to step in to the heart of service. I pray, God, that we would break off consumerism and entitlement in our minds and our hearts, God. I pray, Lord, instead that we would find ourselves seeking to serve rather than be served. God, and I know that there are tons of wounds around this, that many of us, like me, God, have overserved at times, and we're not sure how our boundaries are supposed to work. God, I pray that the fear of that, God, would not, would not keep us from stepping into servanthood again. And I pray, God, instead that you'd begin to inspire people with an imagination of how they can lay their lives down for other people. Lord, let us be a community of foot washers, ready to lay down our lives for other people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything, related or unrelated, that you need encouragement, you need healing, you feel like you need a word for the Lord, these guys will be here to pray with you. I'd be happy to pray with you as well. Uh, I encourage you, one step you can take in the right direction is being willing to serve at Big Table this week. Uh, come, and, come and help us out. Come and serve some people. Come and lay your life down in a simple way like that. There are tons of ways that you can do that. But again, I don't want you to be busy serving. I want you to have the heart of a servant and let that pour out into your life. Amen. Go and have an incredible week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy your families. Be safe. We'll see you next week.